listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message by Pastor Andy Squires. Amen. How's everyone doing? Doing well? Well, last week, if you remember, if you were here, I preached a 10-minute message, and my kids thought that was the best ministry they have ever received in their life, and they have have are begging me dad continue on in that line of ministry so unfortunately i'm gonna disappoint them today but you know it's just the way life is right some days you get what you want and then other days you get something else and it's it's all the lord amen praise the lord well i'm a little tired today i've been in philadelphia for the last three days and i'm going to share a little bit about that um but i was asking the lord about uh what to give this morning. And we've been in the series on the kingdom of God. And sometimes, sometimes I struggle when I think about abstract ideas that we see in the Bible. For instance, heaven is something that we kind of, we try to put language to it and we don't always land it, right? It's like, it's an idea. It's out there somewhere. But it's hard to grab a hold of. Another idea is the kingdom of God. It's like we spend as preachers most of our time trying to describe something that is actually really difficult to describe. You know, this is kind of like the Christian journey. You're always on this pathway to laying hold of the invisible. Christians are actually people that are pursuing the invisible. Think about how crazy that is. We, have, we are a people who have set our hearts on something that we cannot see. When I actually stop and think about that, it's kind of foolish, right? But this whole kingdom walk, this thing that we're doing and following Jesus, it tends to lean towards foolishness more than anything else. And if you're not okay with that, you're going to have a hard time entering into it. So... One of the things that I've been thinking about is the church, the big C church, and this church in particular. So we're part of the bigger church, and the church has things to do. The people of God have something to do. There's a labor that we're laboring in. There's a struggle that we're struggling with. We're in tension with culture. And the thing that we believe often puts us in a great tension with culture. If you faithfully are are looking to be a disciple of the living God, of the man Jesus Christ, and you begin to faithfully do his commands, the words that come out of his mouth, you begin to receive those into your life, and you begin doing those things, you'll find that all of a sudden your intention with the world that you inhabit. Now, depending on how you feel about tension, depending on how you feel about having your life always in some kind of trouble, you know, you'll start to like navigate one way or the other. If you're not up for a lot of pain and trouble, well, you might find ways to not necessarily walk in the kingdom way because it's a losing proposition most of the time. I know a man, David Ruiz, who says, if you follow Jesus You'll probably die, but you'll never lose. If you really think about that, if you take that seriously, what he's really saying is 
the call of Jesus into our lives is actually an invitation to things that are inconvenient. They don't make sense. And they're generally a downhill slope into hiddenness and losing. So the church has been spending a lot of time trying to be relevant and important and significant and bringing their power and wisdom and dominion into the world. And God has a better plan. It's where the the church gets smaller and smaller and smaller, less and less significant, less filled with a sense of its own importance. The hubris and the arrogance is going away. And we become bread that is broken and distributed instead. So I've been thinking about the church and considering what it means to be a part of the church. And sometimes I get confused about it because there's many different versions of the church, right? There's different expressions and there are different parts of the body of Christ. And there's different moves of God where different places and different movements, they they. They attach themselves to a revelation and they, they, they get good at what they're called to. And that's really good. And that's an important thing. Um, but sometimes it seems as though the church is, is obsessed or has become obsessed with minor issues and has forgotten the, the most significant parts of its vocation. The church has forgotten some of the most important parts of its calling. So did you know that the church has a calling? You have an individual calling on your life as a believer in Christ, but we all have a calling together. We all have a vocational occupation that we are in together. You're not just an individual, a part of a bigger institution. You're actually a a person who is involved in a community and that community has a labor, a struggle within the world that it finds itself. And sometimes people don't lose as individuals, but communities lose together. Communities become broken bread. Communities find themselves torn to pieces sometimes and distributed out to the world that needs it. So there is a labor and a struggle. And here's the thing. It's not abstract. There is a calling on our lives that is concrete. It's tangible and it's practical. So it may seem obvious, but I think it's worth saying the things that Jesus cared about are the things that we care about. The things that Jesus did point us to what he cared about. And we know from the gospel of Luke chapter four, that Jesus came on a mission. He had something to do. He had a labor. He had a struggle. And so he's in, in, in the chapter of chapter four of Luke, He's in the synagogue and he opens up the scroll and he's reading from the book of Isaiah and he's saying this. And I know this is a familiar passage to most of you, but he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives 
and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This is a powerful word. It should move us. It should move us partly because we are the poor, we are the captive, we are the blind, we are the oppressed. All right? So there's a missional take to that. There's an agreement for you as a believer, as a disciple, somebody who's confessed the lordship of Jesus Christ in their life. The thing that Jesus is saying is the thing that you're doing, but it's also the thing that you're receiving. Jesus has done this for us because we are the poor. We are the pressed. We are the ones that need sight restored to us. Amen. But here in this text, here's the thing. You can say kingdom of God and it's out here in the abstract. You can say the kingdom of heaven. And it's out here in the abstract. Those are things that they're hard to get to. Maybe we don't quite know what they mean. But in this text, Jesus is not being a poet. He's not being poetic. He's not even being prophetic. He's telling you what he's on the move to do, and he's inviting you and I into it. It's actually a practical, concrete, tangible delivery of the kingdom of God. And if you over-spiritualize the text, if you try to make it this massive revelation that nobody could ever attain, then you'll miss the very thing that Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm actually here to talk to the poor. I'm actually here to heal the sick. I'm actually to bring mercy to those who need mercy. I'm actually here to release those from prison out of prison. It is very practical, church. And this is what you and I are called to. So there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of things within scripture that theologically should be wrestled with. There are many things where great people smarter than you and I have read texts and have come to different conclusions. And when people come to different conclusions, when they read the same text, that's called theology. It's the discussion that goes back and forth about what something means from a text. And that's okay. That's good. That's what it means to be a part of the community of the living God is that we're receiving this revelation from Jesus. We're reading it to one another, and then we're wrestling through the text. Some things in the Bible are hard to understand. Some things are mysterious. This passage in Luke 4 is not one of those passages. Are you with me? We see in this passage in Luke 4, Actually, what is foremost on God's heart? You could actually say this is God's agenda. You could say this is actually God's manifesto. It's not some pie in the sky spirituality that only the most spiritual can attain. This is like, this is how you do what I am doing. He's bringing it all the way down. He's not speaking in a parable and he's not being mysterious. He's telling us why he came. So what is foremost on God's heart? He means for the poor to hear the gospel. It's the very first thing that he says in Luke 4. The very first thing that God talks about is the poor. When Jesus shows up on the earth and announces his Messiahship and his vocation, the very people he first mentions are the poor. 
Where are they in your priority list? The very first people that Jesus says he has come for are the poor. And he goes on in this manifesto. I'm here for the poor. I'm here to release the captives. I'm here to give sight to the blind. And I'm here to bring freedom to the oppressed. So here's the thing, church. The reason why I'm talking to you about this today is because if I'm honest, most of the time, I truly do not care about any of this. I know that's true of you too, right? This is why we gather here every Sunday and we speak the words of life to each other, right? This is why we do this because we are a people that are trying to align ourselves with the purposes of God in our lives. So the great thing about this passage is that Jesus doesn't leave us in the realm of theory. He doesn't leave us in the realm of theoretical. He's actually inviting us into the world of the concrete, the actual. And this is good news that we hear in Luke 4. It's actually mind-blowingly good news, but like the familiarity of the text has produced some kind of carelessness on our behalf. You hear those words and it's like, yeah, I know that passage. I know what's going down in Luke 4. I know that text. I'm tired of it too. I don't need to hear it anymore. But it's really the thing. If you grabbed a hold of it, it would change everything in your life in a practical sense. It should excite us. It should envision us. And it should give us a tremendous amount of hope. Because what we see in this passage is we see God's main attitude towards all people. God has an attitude. He has an opinion. He has an ideal. And this is what it looks like. Luke 4 is a bedrock passage. Check this out. Luke 4 is God's intention. It's God's action. And it's God's method for bringing his kingdom to the earth. It's his intention, it's his action, and it's his method for releasing his kingdom into planet earth. So the past three days, I've been at this conference put on the vineyard denomination in the city of brotherly love in in Philadelphia. And I was invited to it to do a number of things. I was doing some music. I was doing a little speaking. And um, I was way out of my league. Because this, there was like 150 people at this conference, but a large portion of them had PhDs. It was like, I'm not sure how they all got there, but it was a conference that was um, gathering around the idea of, of, well, really preaching the gospel to the poor. These group, this group of people had set in their hearts to figure out how to do this. And, and so in the context of their conference, They had set themselves out to doing some practical things to help people in need, but they were also people of prayer. So so as believers, we're people of action, but one of the greatest actions that we can ever take is is the practice of prayer. So there's a a court case that you might be familiar with in the state of Texas. There's There's a man named Rodney Reese, and he's been on death row for quite a number of years 
from a from a a, a murder that happened in 1996. He was he was convicted. He was found guilty, and and since that time, there have been um, many appeals, and there's been all this new evidence that has come to, to come to light that has brought to question the guilty verdict and then this man's um, case. And, and so it, there's been this massive push on Twitter and all these famous people have, have gotten on board to try to get this man at least a stay of execution so that he can have his case heard by another court, you know? And so, um, so these, these folks that I was with, they had been praying for the situation for weeks. Well, Saturday night, I was doing a little show on Saturday night for these folks, but right before I was about to do my show, the organizers of the event got word that Rodney Reese had received a stay of execution from the governor of the state of Texas. And his, his trial was going to be reheard and this new evidence was going to be looked at. And I'm telling you, there is nothing like being with a bunch of Christians who have all together received an answer to prayer at the exact same time. Because you know what happens? Everybody stops being polite. Everybody takes off their church masks and everybody just like falls into a big puddle on the floor together. Like people were shouting people like these were not Pentecostal people I was with. And people started like hoeing like, oh, Jesus, like people just spontaneously calling out their thankfulness to the Lord because their prayers had been answered, you know. I mean, imagine if you were with that group of people that were praying for Peter to be released from, from prison and he shows up at your prayer meeting one day. Like, you would lose it, right? Like, like all the prayers that you pray that haven't been answered and then you finally get one, man. It'll be like party time, right? Like the injection of faith that happens to a group of people that have been contending for something and struggling for something together for a really long time. And then the answer comes in not a matter of years, but in a matter of days that will do something to you. We need to become a people of prayer that are going after things that are impossible. Have you ever told yourself I'm giving up on prayer because it just doesn't work? That's the devil intimidating you. You need to stop that attitude and you just need to be, become a person of prayer. It doesn't even matter if you pray well or not. I do not pray well. I'm asking the Lord right now, Lord, teach me how to pray. And he's bringing everything down to simplicity for me. You know, even if you can't figure out your own words, go print a prayer off the internet and pray it. You know, you don't speak in tongues. Pray for the Holy Spirit to download that to you. Be like Paul. He's like, I wish that everybody would speak in tongues. Edifies you. Will change your life. It'll bring you more trouble, but it's worth it. (laughs) There's a grace. There's a strength that comes when we are becoming a people of prayer. We're going to be a people of action. We need to be a people of prayer as well. So I was with these people. We received this news and all we could do, we it was one of those moments where it's like, this is not the right time to do my show right now. We have to just sit in this presence. The presence of the Lord was palpable. And we just sat in there. And I just started strumming my guitar and we just began to sing praise to the Lord. Just, Lord, thank you, Lord. And you know, the prayer that came up, Lord, do it again. Do it again. Help the captives get set free, Lord. I hope you're getting this this morning. I hope the Lord is just downloading something to you right now. 
Yeah, he's doing so. I mean, well, you know, when you're so tired and you just don't know what to say and the only thing you can do is trust the Lord. That's where I am right now. You know, thank the Lord for moments like that. You know, the Lord just breaks you open and his spirit just pours out. That I think, I think part of being who you are is really just learning, learning how to embrace your weakness and learning how to trust the Lord. It's like the biggest part of this to take your hands out of, out of, off the control levers and, and just, you know, become broken bread in the hands of the Lord. So I was with these people. And I, I, honestly, I'm standing in awe of these people because they're really smart and they're really spiritual. I, I like smart people. I mean, but they were, they were taking Luke chapter four very seriously. And somehow these people decided to move from theory to action. I feel like I've spent so much of my life over in the land of theory. Do you ever feel so bored with church that you can't hardly stand it anymore? That's generally because I'm over in the land of theory too much. Like, like if church is just like, you just punching your time card, it will become so boring so fast. But if you've got this ongoing testimony in your life, whether it's good or bad, and you're bringing it to the house of the Lord every Sunday morning, and you're adding it to all the other testimonies of brokenness, victory, success, failure, walking with Jesus in some way with all the other people in the room, you have this ongoing testimony of life in Christ together, man, that just, that will move you over from the perpetual theory land over into action so quickly, especially when you begin to catch faith off of other people. Like if you were meeting somebody and you say, I'm, I'm a terrible person and I have a terrible life and my week has been terrible. And the friend looks at you and they say, well, that's all true, but God. I mean, there's something that happens to you when, when somebody comes at you with a report that's different than the one that you're bringing to them. Everything's terrible, but you bump into somebody at church and they're saying, but God. That just changes your makeup. It changes your inner world. It puts something in you that you need in order to go out and be who you are in the Lord. To do that labor, to enter that struggle, to do ch- Luke chapter four in the world. Lord, take us from theory to action. Take us from theory to action, Lord. So these people I was with, I was so fascinated with them because they were aligning themselves with God's intention. And this is the first step. I was thinking about this. This is kind of the first step. We have to be aware. We have to have a holy awareness about us that there's a whole lot happening in the world outside of our little lives. And unless we're paying attention to what's happening, we'll actually miss Luke chapter four in the very first line. I've come to preach the gospel to the poor. But if we become so obsessed with our own little life, we will always live in the land of theory. So these people had aligned themselves with God's intention. They allowed themselves to become aware of the world that they were walking through. 
And then they acted according to God's action. They developed a plan individually and corporately to begin to make small moves towards people that were living in the margins, towards people that were not like them. You know, if you get a degree from Rutgers or Princeton or Yale, there's very few people in the world that are like you. And you could spend the rest of your life living in that ivory tower and you can embed yourself in the world of intellectualism. But if you're a Jesus follower, you have that going for you. And then he says, but here's what you should really do. Put all that on hold and take one little step towards the poor. He's inviting us, whatever world that we're a part of, he's inviting us out of that world and into his. It doesn't mean you leave your life all the way behind. It means you start paying attention. It means you start being aware. This is how you align yourself with God's action. That's you, you begin to say, yes, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. I need to go over there and bring the kingdom. I need to go over to those people. I need to go over to that place and bring something to them. And, and, and the other thing that these folks did, they aligned themselves with God's intention. They acted according to God's action. And then they moved with God using his method. So we know what God intends for us. We've discussed it already out of Luke 4. And, and we can also see from that passage that ultimately how God acts is he acts in kindness. He is acting kindly towards people, towards the world at all times. And that has to be our position. And I, I think I'm stating the obvious when I say that to you, but so often in our lives, we are not acting that way towards the world that we live in. Are we like, we find ourselves in opposition to people that are not like us, who don't look like us, who don't vote like us, who don't believe like us. And God is saying, the action is kind. The action is kindness. The action is mercy. The action is going to a place that doesn't feel like you, act like you, believe like you, talk like you. This is Jesus's action and it's his method. What are his methods? And I guess a better question of that could be, what does mercy look like? I was with a group of songwriters this week and, and we spent, there was about 20 of us and they were attempting to write songs about God's mercy. And it was really fascinating Because we had the theme. We had the theme of what we were going to write these songs about. But when I asked people to articulate back to me what mercy was, hardly anybody could do it. Isn't that interesting? I mean, we all have a kind of a like a romantic notion of it. But I think there's something very practical about mercy. 
And I realized when I was thinking about this, that sometimes I get so obsessed with finding some kind of deep spiritual revelation that I tend to forget and set aside God's actual methods of being his disciple. So here's, here's where I am in my life. I'm at a point in my life where I need to have things put simply so that I can understand them. So maybe we make being a Jesus follower harder than it actually is. What can I do? What does it look like to live out Luke 4? What does it look like to concretely bring God's kingdom into our actual world? I believe that we must choose a life of simplicity. Matthew 25 tells us how to actually live as someone who has decided to become a servant of the Lord. It goes like this. This is found in Matthew 25. If you ever wondered what to do, if you ever wanted, wanted to know what the will of God was for your life, if you, were, if you were attempting to live out Luke chapter 4, Jesus in Matthew 25 gives us the actual things to do. And they're so simple that you're going to be offended by this. All right? Because none of it includes you starting an international ministry. None of it includes you being famous. None of what I'm about to read to you includes you voting for the right politician. None of what I'm about to read to you includes you having your theology exactly perfect. None of this includes what I'm about to say to you includes having your holiness level just right. It doesn't include whether or not you watch rated R movies or not. It does not include you having the right friend group. It does not include. Oh, it's just so simple that it will offend you. It goes like this. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. This is the prescription and the description of Luke chapter four. If you've ever counted yourself out of being an ambassador of the kingdom of God, because you thought you weren't spiritual enough. You thought you weren't smart enough. You thought you weren't something. You Maybe you didn't have enough time. You didn't have enough energy. I promise you that you can take a cup of water to somebody that needs it. You could actually schedule in your life going down to the county jail and visiting somebody in the prison. You could take any money that you would spend to go to some spiritual conference somewhere and buy coats for people that need it. You could take any energy that you would spend on becoming a celebrity pastor 
and take all of that energy and go live with the poor somewhere. See, a lot of what we have called ministry in the last 40 or 50 years has really been the outworking of our ego. It has been, it's been, we have an inner desire to feel significance, an inner desire to be important, an inner desire to feel seen and heard. And we've neglected the things that Jesus actually said to do. And here's the beautiful part of this. This includes every single person in this room. It doesn't leave ministry to the pastor or the worship team or anybody on paid staff at any church. This includes everybody within the body of Christ. And it does away with the entire class system that we find in the church. You cannot count yourself out of the work of the kingdom because God has already counted you in. He has given you the prescribed method of doing this. It's the simple things, y'all. It's the little things, y'all. You don't have to wait for another 10 years for your life to get in order, to your life, for your life to stop being a mess so that you can reach out and simply help another human being. I apologize. I feel like I'm Captain Obvious up here today, like saying all this to you. But what I've realized is like, I've actually had blinders on my eyes. I've had things plugging up my ears because I've made following Jesus much more difficult than it actually is. Because we've, we've walked in circles that have developed these caste systems like the spiritual people up here and all the people that pay to go to the conferences down here. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. What a follower of me looks like is I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you visited me. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves where our allegiance lies. This is, this is important, what I'm about to say to you. Does your allegiance lie with King Jesus primarily? Or do you have other kings in your life that are speaking to you louder than King Jesus? I think the reason why I have not heard this passage accurately before it's because I have all of these other high places ruling my mind. These other kings that I have set up above King Jesus. And, you know, he leaves me to it. But thankfully, we have the text. and Thankfully, we are, we are being tempered by the text. We are being challenged by the text. We are being formed by the text. We are being transformed by the living word that is speaking life to us. And here we see God's intention for us. And he is always moving toward the margins to the least of these. And here we see God's action towards us. He is for us and he is prescribing his movement towards us. And here we see his method. His method is this. It's simplicity, food, water, shelter, clothing, friendship, Care and time. 
So I spent some time this week with this man named Bob Ekblad, okay? And uh, Bob is one of these guys that nobody knows about. He spent the last 40 years of his life hidden in different uh, third world countries. And he kind of, he's a unique individual because he is, he's a scholar. He's a PhD level um, seminarian, but he's also very spiritual and he's also very practical at the same time. And Paul, uh, Bob and his wife, Gracie, they've spent their lives uh, just living among the poor. And Bob's one of these guys, I heard, him, I heard him talk this week. Have you ever met a preacher or heard a preacher who was an absolutely terrible communicator? Like they're the worst preacher in the room. Like why does this guy have the pulpit? You know, but he's been so broken that every word that comes out of his mouth is just dripping with the weight of glory. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's, that's how Bob is. Bob just opens his mouth and he stumbles through the Bible and he tries to teach it. He's super smart. But when he speaks, something goes in front of them because there's a substance there that's connected with Luke 4 and Matthew 25. He's actually never living in theory. He's always living in action. So Bob prays for the sick and he teaches people to farm. He casts out demons and then he holds little Bible studies for gang members. He does all of this. He's not trying to convince the world he's a great preacher. He is living simply. He's made a decision to live simply according to Matthew 25. And he's bringing justice and mercy to the world one cup of water at a time. I want to tell you this one testimony because I think it's so brilliant. My buddy Caleb and I were eating with Bob and he's so nonchalant. He is just telling us stories. And me and my buddy Caleb, we're freaking out over what he's saying to us. But it's like nothing to him. But he says, yeah, me and Gracie, we went to Morocco. You know, it's 90% Muslim, but the church is just exploding there. Yeah, all these Christians are just, people are, people are just getting saved left and right. I mean, the church is growing so fast. What we're, what we're just trying to keep up with is developing leaders to pastor all the new converts. The church is, it's going, it's going crazy. I was like, Bob, why is it going crazy? Well, we, we give out water. We give out food. We, we visit people in the hospital. We visit the sick. We visit people in jail. We hold Bible studies. We teach people the Bible. Oh, and then there's one time. This, this husband brought his 27-year-old bride to us to pray for her. Oh, she was, she was a corpse. She, she had a full-blown, um, she, she, she had AIDS. And she was in full, um, was just the terrors of that disease. And, you know, me and Gracie, we don't have anything. We just laid hands on her and we just prayed for her. We just knew she was going to die. It was, just looked hopeless. But we just lived simply. We just go for it. So they laid hands on this woman and, and they prayed for her and they didn't see any results. And, and then six months later, they came back and they're in, a, they're in a space and this man comes running into the room. He is ecstatic and he throws down a stack of papers in front of Bob and it's a, it's a doctor's report. And then this woman walks in who they do not recognize. Well, it's that woman who they prayed for who had AIDS and she was totally healed. And, but this is so interesting. Bob said, 
not everybody we pray for gets healed. I thought that was the best part of the story. Because here's a man who's decided to live simply, to do what Jesus has said to do, despite the outcomes. He's committed himself to the Jesus method, and he's leaving the outcomes to the Lord himself. So the great, the great temptation, guys, that we face is discouragement. If, if you're like me and you, you listen to the news or you, you get on your social media feeds, you'll, you'll be bombarded with so many problems and so many issues that the thing you'll say to yourself is this, I'll never be able to bring any change into this. Here's what I want you to say to yourself. Yes, that is true. Okay? But the trick is, Christians are not people who are called to success. Christians are people who are called to try. So your mode of operation is not to attempt or to attain success in your life or your ministry, whatever Jesus walk that it is that you're doing, it is that we are going to go after the most hopeless situations that we possibly can. Because we actually believe that a cup of water, some food, some clothes, some shelter, some care, some friendship, some time can actually change the world. Are you with me on that? Do you feel enlivened this morning? Do you feel like you have a better sense of what it is that we're actually doing? My prayer for us is that we become a church that, um, well, we're not professional church members. We're the body of Christ. And we actually love our city, don't we? We love the people in our city. We love this city and we mean to... I don't know. It sounds so cheesy to say, but shine the light of Jesus in this place. And we'll meet resistance. We'll pray for people and they'll die. We'll bring mercy ministries to people and they won't want it. There'll be all kinds of things that don't go well in our attempts to do these things. There are people that are dying to hear what you have to say to them. I have one more testimony, then we're going to close. I met this woman. She's a 34-year-old seminarian. She just got her MDiv from Duke. She's 34 years old. She's planning a church in Princeton, okay? She went to her leaders in her denomination, and she says, I feel called to plan a church in Princeton, They blessed her. They sent her out. They're empowering her. They're equipping her. She's out there preaching the gospel. I was asking her what her story was. And this is what she said. I was not a, I wasn't in a family of Christians. My parents were intellectuals. They sent me to boarding school. I was a social justice warrior. She said, I cared about the world that I lived in, desperately wanted to help it. I did everything that I could to help it. I hated Christians because I thought they were the most hypocritical, hypocritical people on the planet. But I had this one friend at my boarding school who went to this really dumb Bible study every week. 
And she kept inviting me to it. And she said, Andy, it was terrible. The guy who was leading the Bible study was not charismatic at all. He was, it was the worst. He was drony. He, I mean, yeah, it was just bad. But her friend was relentless. And her friend kept saying, you should come to this Bible study. You should come to this Bible study. Well, well, she, she hit a wall in her own life. She had been messing around in the world and she was a smart person. So she started doing the math and all the people in her life and in all the classes that she was taking at her school that were trying to give her answers to, to the universe, everything was coming up short. And she found herself in a position where she was actually willing to hear about Jesus. She goes to that dumb little Bible study, that little crust of bread that that dude was just throwing out there. That girl got saved, met Jesus. Her life was totally transformed. And now she's a 34-year-old PhD-level student who's planting a church, going after other people just like her. So you cannot count yourself out of being able to actually help somebody. If you've ever said to yourself, what you currently understand about Jesus isn't enough for anybody, you'd be wrong. You have to give away what you have. You have to tell people about Jesus because he's so good. I mean, I, I get in these theological debates with people all the time because I'm, I'm thinking about things like, oh, I don't know, you know, how, how are ethics connected to salvation? And I've got this one guy asking me the other day, he's like, well, you know, if, you, if, if people aren't afraid of punishment, how will they ever be good for Jesus? And I'm like, that's a terrible, that's terrible math. I'm like, I mean, have you met the Lord? Like, he's good. Like, I want to introduce people to the Lord because he's fantastic. He's a wonder to be around. He's a wonder to talk to. I love people who love Jesus because they're better versions of themselves. Man, what a gift. What a gift to know the Lord. What a gift to be his friend and what a gift to dispense Matthew 25 to the world. This is who we are, guys. This is what we're doing. This is what we're called to. Amen. I want to do one more thing with you all this morning. I want us to do a prayer. I want us to pray a prayer together. Why don't you stand to your feet? We've got this on the overhead. I'm going to read it to you first, and then we're going to say it together, and then we're going to close. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in the dying that we are born to eternal life. Do you want to pray this prayer with me? Let's do this together. This, let, let's let this be our confession today, church. Okay, here we go. All together now. Lord. Make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. 
where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.